DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and I'm back with Erin Galloway because you guys had questions and she had answers, and that was pretty awesome. Erin and I are going to sit down and answer some of your questions by email, and then she's also going to tell us what she's reading, which you can't actually read yet, which totally sucks, and I apologize in advance, but what she's talking about sounds really cool. This podcast is brought to you by Intermix, publisher of breathtaking romances like Kelsey Leverich's all new ebook, Feel the Rush, which is on sale this month. Megan Mitchell is the girl everyone wants to be, but she's pushing 30, and she still hasn't found Mr. Right. She has found Mr. Wrong, Mr. Bad, Mr. Not Available. Now she's just set on Mr. Safe. But when she meets a jump master in the military, an adrenaline junkie who can't sit still, can she let her rules go? Feel the rush with this sexy new romp available wherever ebooks are sold. As usual, the music that you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. I'll have more information at the end of the podcast about who this is and what it is and where you can buy it. And now, on with the podcast. So here's question one. Okay. This is from Elise, who reviews for me. So she works with me reviewing mostly romantic suspense because I don't particularly like it. She says, I listened to the podcast at work this morning. My question for Aaron or you is how do publicists feel about bad reviews? Is any publicity good publicity? Do you think forums like Goodreads or Amazon give people more opportunity to bitch anonymously? I get irritated when I read a bad review that has no detail to support why the reviewer liked, disliked the book, but just turns into a general gripe fest about why romance readers and romance authors all suck. How do you as a publicist deal with things like that? And how do you feel about bad reviews? Good question from Elise. So bad reviews happen. I mean, that's the fact of the matter. Books are just like any other entertainment or art form. Not every book works for every person. So those, the publicist, I try my best to put every book into the hands of a reviewer that I think will enjoy it. That doesn't always happen. So I do expect them. Um, I probably don't take them as personally as an author does because I haven't written the book myself. But I will say that because I love the books that I work on, occasionally a bad review will upset me too. I'll be honest. Um, I think though that the thing that's truly upsetting isn't so much when a reviewer doesn't like the book because as I said, we expect that. Not every book works. Um, I get upset when I read a review similar to what Elise is saying that doesn't really support why the person says they dislike the book or it isn't really about the book at all, but much more about not liking romance, perhaps not liking this particular author's writing style. And if that's the case, then I understand you probably shouldn't continue reading you know, this author's books if you don't like the voice then you're probably not going to enjoy the story. However, if this is the sixth book that you have read by a particular author and you know that you don't like the style and you're reviewing it going and knowing that, chances are it's not going to be a good experience for you. Um, So I think that most reviewers just try their best to be honest and to support, you know, whatever um, claim they're making in terms of what they do and don't like. And when someone says, this book didn't work for me and here is why and have very clear examples, fair enough. There are books that I feel that way about, certainly. 
And when they say, this is why I do like the book and provide clear examples, that's fantastic too. Um, Yes, there is the saying that all publicity is good publicity. Um, I don't agree with that 100% of the time, um, but I do think that if there is a lot of discussion around a book, that is a good thing. And sometimes a negative review doesn't turn people away necessarily from a book. Sometimes it lets people know, oh, this reviewer doesn't like A, B, and C, but I do. So this book may actually be for me. You know, reviewers that prefer a very um, tame in the uh, love scene area romance, um, that will not be my preference. You know, so if I read a review that says, you know, very, very tasteful, all of these other buzzwords that alert me, you know, to the fact that there's not going to be a lot of sexy time, it doesn't matter how positive that review is, I'm probably not going to pick that book up. You know, on the other hand, if somebody who doesn't enjoy a lot of sex scenes goes, whoa, way too many of these, then chances are I'm thinking, oh, that is up my alley. Give me that book now. Um, you know, so I think, you know, when you're when you're the reader, you need to read every review with sort of a very, you know, a good perspective of what that reviewer's lens is, what you as the reader have is your lens, what are your um, turn-offs, turn-ons, you know, when it comes to various books, uh, you know, especially when it comes to the very erotic stuff. I know, you know, as a publicist that there are some things that reviewers really like and some things specific reviewers really don't. So occasionally I will say, just an FYI, there's a scene in here that, you know, may push some buttons for you want to give you advance warning. And I usually get a, hey, thanks, Aaron, afterward, you know, that scene did, you know, trip a few things up for me. But overall, I really did enjoy the book. That'll be reflected in my review, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so I think we all just need to be sort of conscious of what we're looking at. But I totally agree with Elise. Anybody that just writes a gripe fest that's not exactly about the book or the writing or any real enjoyment factor, but it's much more about, you know, denigrating the genre or an author, you know, nobody wants to read that because it's not really what the book is about at all. And hey, who wants to read somebody's litany of complaints? Um, Amazon and Goodreads, I think, are great forums for having book discussions. And I do believe that the majority of people on those places really do want to discuss books and chat with like-minded people. But just like the internet in general, you know, Amazon and Goodreads can be a place for folks that are, you know, clearly unhappy in one form or another to, you know, just air that unhappiness. Half the time, I don't think it really has to do with books at all. I think it's just somebody that's frustrated in their day job and needs to take out that frustration in one way or another. And it just so happens that romance novels are what they take it out on that day. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know. I know that if I read a book that I don't like and it pisses me off, I can go on for a good two, three thousand words about all the things that piss me off about a particular book. But it, it, but I try to be as specific as possible because when I am looking for books and I see a book that has enormous numbers of like four or five stars and then there's like a couple of two or one stars, but the two or one star reviews don't have any commentary. 
or yes. or they just say I didn't like it. I'm like, okay, well that helps me not at all. And you know, some people use Goodreads to keep track of what they're reading. So the read so the ratings are not for anyone else. They're actually for themselves. Like just a reminder to myself, right. I don't like that author. I got to give this book a one star because I one of the things that um one of my reviewers, Amanda, was saying recently is that she keeps trying to read this one author who everyone tells her, you're going to love this author. She's just like what you just what you want. She does all of the things that you want. And you like this author, you're going to like this one. And she's like, every time I try this author's books, they don't work for me. And I keep getting them recommended to me. I actually have to keep a list of authors. These are the ones who you think might work, but don't. And so someone who's trying to use Goodreads to keep track of their own reading probably would give like a one or two star just to say, oh yeah, note to self, I don't like this one, damn it. But, sure. but the reviews that don't have anything to, the, with, to do with the book, I think one thing that one thing that authors I wish would realize more is that when readers read reviews, they reveal as much about the reader who wrote it as they do about the book. And we can make, we can usually tell the difference and, and, identify a, a reader who disliked a book for book reasons and a reader who disliked a book for reasons that also have a lot to do with themselves. And either one is fine. If you didn't like a book because this hero gave you the heebie-jeebies and really pissed you off, then okay. But another reader might not be bothered by that hero at all. That happened with me last week with a book that I really loathed and my review release was like, this was okay. I didn't like the hero. Meanwhile, I wished to kill the hero. I wished him to be real so that I could kill him. <laughs> like I was so angry. What reviews, like, has there been a review or uh, an incident with reviewers that has, has made you really mad or an experience that you can talk about? And if you can't talk about it, it's totally cool. But have there, have there, has there been an experience with a reviewer or a review online that was really difficult for you as a publicist? I'm trying to think of a good example and sort of on the, the very tame side, a review that you know, upset me within the last couple of years is one where, you know, this was a novel with a very strong suspense element and the review wasn't negative, but they gave away the entire, you know, kind of. Oh, I hate that. So you knew exactly what happened. And when you're talking about a novel with a very strong suspense element, yes, of course, it's a romance. We do know that the hero and heroine will get together. That is the point and why we're reading it. But there are lots of other wonderful things that go into a novel. It's the journey to get to that happy ever after moment. So when you know all of the steps along the way, it does take a lot of the fun out of it. So yeah. that as a publicist, you know, does upset you. And of course the author, because that's what we're hoping to provide to the reader, that wonderful journey. So in that case, I did very politely contact the reviewer and say, you know, I'm so glad that you enjoyed the book and it is a very positive review. However, you do sort of reveal everything in the story. Is there a way that we could maybe take a few of those things out? You know, it's one thing to say like little spoiler here and there. And usually most reviewers are very clear when they're about to give you a spoiler. Oh, yeah. So that way you can choose to read it or not. And yep. that's fine. But when you don't get anybody any warning and just from start to finish kind of tell all of the major plot elements, then that's unfortunate because some readers will go, well, there, there went all the mystery. Um, so that's upsetting. And I suppose the only other thing, and I, I won't go into too much detail, but the only other thing that has bothered me 
as a publicist, and it's happened more than once, is just when you read a review that clearly is not about the book. When you're the publicist and you read things like that, it is easier for me, um, because I'm not the author, to step back and say, okay, this isn't a reflection of the author's work. I've read the book. I loved it. You know, I have a number of other folks that I know loved it. It's okay if it didn't work for this person or several people. Um, but this review, clearly not really about not liking the book. It's much more about, you know, this reviewer. Okay, yep. fine. So usually what I'll do is I will either, you know, kind of say to the author, FYI, this happened, just wanted you to know. Um, if you don't want to read it, don't even, you know, don't even bother. But don't get hot under the collar about it. It's not worth it. It doesn't matter. You know what a great book it is. And at the end of the day, so do your readers. And that's really what matters. Uh, I think most veteran authors take the bad reviews with the good. It's just like life in general. You roll with the punches. Some things don't work for some people. That's okay. I have authors that don't read their reviews at all. Um, I think for newer authors, it can be a little bit more of a challenge because this is the first time that anyone other than their critique group, maybe their immediate family and friends and their editor, you know, has really read their book and they're yep. very excited to share it with the world. So I think at that time, almost any negative review that comes in is a little bit like, oh my God, this is my baby. I have, you know, worked on this for usually years yep. and someone doesn't love my baby. So it's just like with a book, you don't want to hear that someone didn't love it the same way that you love it. And that's why I always advise authors early on in their career, if you find out that there is a review out there that's not positive, don't even read it. Don't read you it. You don't need to see that. Don't read it. Yep. Trust me. If there is a problem with your writing, if there are plot holes, your editor has told you. Your editor has told you, I promise. Yeah, so don't just sweat it. Keep working with your editor and keep honing your craft. That's what's most important. Not focusing, you know, on someone who didn't enjoy the book. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, all you need to do is keep writing. Keep writing great books. And that's, you know, that's what the rest of your career is really going to be about. And that's actually the solution to really having a problem with negative reviews of your own work is you have to write more books. Because if you speak to some of the authors who are incredibly prolific or who have had a career where they've written 20 or 30 books, like, for example, um, Lynn Ray Harris, who writes for Harlequin Presents, has written probably right. 30 to 40 books. And she was talking with me at one point and said, you know, I, I don't really get bothered by my reviews at this point anymore. I guess I just I, I guess I got used to it. And I said, well, how many books have you written? And she's sitting there counting and I'm counting, counting some more. And I'm like, well, that would be why, because if that author, if some if that reader is talking about one of your books, you actually have to think about which one it is because there's so many of them. So the solution to yes. not liking your reviews is to write more books, which is what you should be doing anyway, because that's what readers want. We want more books. So true. So true. Just write more. Are you ready for the next question? I'm ready. Okay. This is a fun question. This is from Tam. She says, I enjoyed listening to the podcast and wanted to suggest a question for Aaron. Is there a main path for one to become a publicist or are there numerous paths and what overall is entailed? When I was listening to Aaron describe her job, I thought, gee, my sister would love that kind of a job. She's a recent 
college graduate with a sociology degree, hasn't had much luck doing anything with it or much direction, and I find many careers are cloaked in mysteries. Unless you actually know someone in the field, it's hard to imagine how anyone ends up with that job. If Erin could enlighten us a little on how to get her job, that would be awesome because seriously, her job sounds pretty nice. So how do we become Erin? How does that work? Oh, I'm happy to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) So I was a communications major in college and I had a concentration in journalism. I was very certain that I wanted to become the editor-in-chief of a daily newspaper or perhaps a women's magazine. Well, I interned at a newspaper in college and I hated it. Me too. Hated it, hated it. Me too. Uh, Oh my God, me too. It was very different than what I expected. And I ran my college newspaper and I loved doing that. I, well, but of course I loved doing that because I was in charge. I, I got want to you assign to know, other people what to write. I was the editor in chief of my paper as well in college. And it was awesome because I could do whatever the hell I wanted. And really there was no advisor in charge. It was fabulous. Isn't that a great job? Yes, it is. And see, Sarah, <laughs> this is why we get along so well. Oh yeah. Because at the end of the day, when I was very honest with myself, I realized what I wanted to be was in charge. That's really what it boiled down to. So I started thinking, maybe journalism's not for me. Uh, The only problem with that is of the seven grad schools I had applied to, and yes, seven was too many, uh, six of those programs were in journalism. Well, that's not going to work. You know, way too many. So when I was going through the whole grad school admission process, which I firmly believe, uh, you know, in terms of the application process part, that is just meant to weed out people that don't really want to go because that is a very long and arduous process, even worse than college applications as far as I'm concerned. It's so true, especially in the humanities. Jeez Louise. Yes. Big nightmare for sure. Applying to grad school was like a full-time job in and of itself, senior year of college. So I was talking with one of my former professors just about, you know, what I was going through and the application process. And he said to me, you know, Aaron, have you thought about a job in publishing? And I said, well, what exactly do you mean? And he said, you know, working for a book publisher. I said, well, I don't know. I mean, other people get those jobs. Like I wouldn't be able to get that job. And he said, well, you know, there's a master's program in publishing at Pace University. You really ought to think about it. His daughter had applied to this program and didn't wind up going, but he thought that I may be interested. So that was the seventh school that I applied to. And I did a visit to several of the schools. um, And a couple of the schools that I applied to were in New York. So I came down and I visited Pace here in the city and really, really loved it. It was the seventh school that I applied to, and it wound up being the only one that I actually wanted to go to. So I was accepted and I moved down uh, just a couple months after I graduated from college. I moved down to the city and I had an assistantship through Pace. So I worked during the day and I went to class at night. And it was a very wise professor there that in talking to me said, you know, Aaron, you really light up when you talk about romance novels. This is really what you ought to be doing. 
And it's what my mother had said as well. You know, these are the books that you read. This is what you're most passionate about. This is what you should do. So I started looking into it more seriously. I got some really great advice, which was go find the person that has the job that you want, contact them, ask them out to lunch, pick their brain, and, you know, see what you can do to get your foot in the door. And I thought, it's pretty ballsy advice. I like it. I could do that. So I did. I looked up an editor that I, you know, admired who worked with a lot of authors that I really loved. And I invited him out to lunch. He, to my surprise, you know, was flattered and agreed. And I met him, you know, just a few blocks from his office. We had a nice lunch that he very graciously um, treated for since I was a starving grad student. And he talked to me about his job, how he got into the industry, what he loved about it. And I was so inspired. And I said, look, I really want to do this. This is what I want my life to be. And he said, okay, um, you know, we have an internship program. I think you should apply. So I did. I got the job and I had a really wonderful three-month internship at this publishing company. And it became my first job. So I worked at Dorchester for nearly three years. Who did and you take to were, lunch? Who did you take to lunch? It was Chris Kiesler. And we are friends to this day. I think when I accomplish something in my career, he is, I think, sometimes even more proud of me than I am. Um, and it, you know, it was really wonderful because he gave me great advice. And when I started at Dorchester, I, you know, have, of course had interned there. So everyone already knew me and I felt like I had a very positive atmosphere to be a part of. It was a really wonderful, you know, job to learn on. Um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't really say that there is any one particular um, path to book publishing or specifically book publicity. I do think that an education in English or communications is very typical for anyone who works in this industry, uh, at least on the editorial or the publicity side. Right. And publicity specifically, you know, a lot of folks do graduate with marketing degrees or degrees um, possibly specifically in public relations. That's certainly something that happens. Um, it's also pretty normal now for folks to graduate from one of the, you know, I, I think they're like six or eight week courses now that give you a certificate in publishing. There's the Denver Institute, um, the Radcliffe course, which I believe is now at Columbia. Um, and then my program, which was at Pace University, and that's an actual master's Um or a master, I should say, a master of science in publishing. And, you know, most of us just know that we want to get into publishing and we figure out a way to do it. I think that that's also part of the application process is being willing to try and take the time to, you know, reach out, ask for an informational interview. Um, there's a lot that goes into this industry because it is a very small one and quite insular in some ways. You know, everybody says a lot of publishing is who you know. And I wouldn't say that that is elitist in any way, shape, or form. It's more that because it is such a small community, it is harder to get your foot in the door. You know, they told me in my graduate program, look around the room. 
the person sitting next to you, in front of you, or behind you will one day get you a job or you will one day get them a job. And I thought, okay, this, this is a little over the top, folks. Like, come on. Come There's on a lot now. of people that work in publishing. And no, 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 no. There's only six people. There are only six people who work in publishing (laughs) and the rest is done with mirrors. Don't try to lie to me, Aaron, because I know the truth. Anyway, it it is small. And sure enough, about two years after, you know, my professor said that, sure enough, I got a job for the person sitting behind me. Nice. So it really is true. It's a very small industry. So taking the time to get to know people in it, asking the questions, reaching out, learning more about it to make sure it's what you really want to do. Yep. All of those things are important because as they say, no one stays in publishing because of the money. That's oh, sure. yes. I know you're all rolling in it. Don't lie. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I love about publishing is that I don't have to worry about having a book budget anymore. That's definitely, (laughs) you know, that was one of my greatest expenses before I got into publishing. So it is pretty incredible that I can have all the free reading that I want. Um, But everybody that works here does it because books are the thing that they are most passionate about. You know, I mean, I say all the time that my career and my passion just happen to be one and the same. Which is pretty awesome. It is. It's fantastic. I think most writers feel the same way. Writing is their great passion. It's also their career. It's why Nora Roberts calls it the best job in the world. And that's why I feel like I have the best job. I I do occasionally joke that if I could become a professional chocolate taster, I would leave publishing in a hot second, but (laughs) I would miss the books immeasurably. So I don't think I would actually go But if anybody wants to send me more free chocolate, they are welcome to do so. And I'm happy to give my opinion. Um, I just think, you know, when it comes to publishing, it's one of those things. It's a small industry. You need to know that you're definitely committed, you know, to this as a career. You have to really want it and then go after it. Um, Editorial is obviously the hardest thing to get into. It's one of the most visible jobs. And it's the job that most folks believe they want coming in. I certainly thought the same. I was a editorial assistant for about four months and it was a wise supervisor that said to me, um, you know, Aaron, you may be able to continue in editorial and stay happy, but I don't think it's really where you belong. And he was right. He directed me into publicity and marketing. Um, he did it in you know, a more blunt fashion, telling me that my mouth was too big to stay in editorial. <laughs> he was right. He was right. And I absolutely love publicity and marketing. It's certainly where I am meant to be. And I'm really glad that he encouraged me to make that transition. You know, he saw something in me before I had the opportunity to recognize it myself. And I think he saved me a lot of, um, you know, agony later in trying to transition or figure out how to make a transition. Uh, It was just a very smooth one, honestly. Um, Because it was at Dorchester, I got to make the transition from editorial to publicity and marketing. It was wonderful. I got to keep all of the authors that I loved working with. And then I was really fortunate that when, you know, life offered me um, a new opportunity, I came here to Penguin and got to work with some of the same fantastic authors. 
and a whole lot of new wonderful authors. So it's been a really good experience. And, you know, other than professional chocolate taster, I really can't imagine doing anything else. <laughs> this will, I won't put this in the podcast, but you must have been seriously upset and bummed out when Dorchester finally sank to the bottom of the ocean. I was. I was because it had offered so many people a really great place to start their career. Oh, back in the day, it was such a badass publisher. They put out some of the most interesting books. And when you see older backlist titles that are like, whoa, that's cool. Nine times out of 10, it came out of Dorchester. It's true. We got to do so many wonderful books because we didn't have some of the same strictures that a lot of the major publishers have. It was okay if a book didn't fit into a classic category because, well, you hell, we didn't have all that many categories. You right. know, we just sort of slotted things wherever we could fit them. Yep. And it was really, really wonderful. And so many amazing authors got their starts there. Yep. So it was very sad to see it, you know, go the way of the dinosaur, the one saving grace for me is that it does appear that pretty much every single author or employee at Dorchester that wanted to continue a career in publishing have found a good home or a situation that they are pleased with. Yep. You know, whether that means publishing with Berkeley, you know, Pocket, SMP, um, you know, source books, in some cases, self-publishing or Amazon, um, you know, everybody really seems to be satisfied and flourishing where they wound up. So that does make me really, really happy. Um, but it was so sad, you know, to see it go. Yes. And to go so painfully. Oh, that was probably the worst part of it all. If it had been a quick death, you know, that might have been No, it just limped on, to take, and on but and on. Yes, it was a very long, very painful process to watch, especially if you had felt like you were part of that, you know, family. And we do still call ourselves the Dorchester alumni. Oh, of course. And besides, like you said, publishing is an extremely small industry. The people that you're legally not allowed to collaborate with are going to become your coworker next year anyway, because you all switch places when someone rings a bell. Oh, it is very bizarre. And it's one of the reasons that everyone always says do not burn your bridges yep. in publishing because you are going to have to work with these people again at some point or their best friend or their mother or wife or yep. husband. I mean, this is also an industry where a lot of people are married to each other. Yep. You know, it, it, it's a long job, you know, in terms of like, you know, the time you arrive and the time you leave at the end of the day, you pull long hours. So it's very, you know, it happens very easily that people within publishing marry each other, become best friends, you know, go to each other's weddings, yep. all of that. So if you make an enemy of someone or you don't treat them in the way that, you know, you should be treating them, you wind up with a situation, you know, later on in your career that is very uncomfortable because, you know, you acted poorly several yep. years in the past. It's true. It's very so true. I, I really try and keep that in mind because there are always going to be people that, you know, you're the oil, they are the water. Yep. It's always going to happen. But if you just do your best to treat, you know, treat everybody with respect and, you know, do, like I said, just treat everyone with respect and keep in mind that, you know, you don't have to be their best friend. 
then you can really get through just about anything. It's true. So one last question. So tell me, what are you reading right now that you think is completely friggin' awesome? I just started Jill Shalvis's next novel for us, uh, Rumor Has It, which I'm very excited about. I literally started it on the way in this morning on the subway. Uh, I had just finished a Kristen, uh, Kristen Ashley title before that. Oh, what was but, the Kristen um, Ashley title? Which one were you reading? I decided because the first Rock Chick book was 99 cents on iTunes that I would start that series because who can say no to 99 cents? Yes, 99 cents is very difficult to put down. And of course, as you know, Kristen Ashley is cracktastic, so oh I enjoyed God. it very much. And I'm on a contemporary you know, kick at the moment. So as soon as I finished that, I picked up um, the manuscript for Jill Chavez's Rumor Has It, and... I've been waiting for this story because it's two secondary characters. The heroine is very adorable and she's one of those that gets really, really nervous in front of the hero. She's also very smart. So instead of just clamming up and being really quiet, which I think is sort of a a standard uh, human response when we get nervous around someone we're attracted to, she actually starts blabbing all of these really insane scientific facts, (laughs) you know, and it's hysterical. I mean, she trips and falls in front of him and he helps her up. And instead of saying thank you, she blurts out men are 47% more likely, you know, to die from a fall than women. And, you know, every single time they've had an interaction so far in the book, that is what it's like seeing this really hot guy and this, you know, equally adorable woman who gets so flustered that she can't help but spew out these ridiculous facts. Oh, that's really and cute. It's, it's going to be really, really fun. And of course, there's animals involved. And anytime you give me a sweet but still very sexy contemporary romance and you toss in some animals, like I am a goner. So I know I'm going to enjoy it. And um, that that'll be my my reading material for probably the next 24 hours. Uh, and then it will be on to um, something else, probably another contemporary, because like I said, I'm, I'm on a kick at the moment. That's awesome. And that's all for this week's podcast. Thank you for joining us. And thank you to Erin Galloway for hopping on the Skype at a very early hour of her workday to answer our questions. The music that you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. This is actually Sassy herself. She is playing the violin, and this is a composition she calls Fiddler on the Loose Mix 2. And I don't know if she composed this herself just for the podcast or if this is a piece that she's worked on prior, but that's Sassy. She's playing the fiddle. And if you totally dig this and would like to have your own copy, email me and let me know, and I'll ask her if I can put it up for distribution because it's kind of awesome, right? I mean, it would be a great ringtone to wake you up in the morning. This podcast is being brought to you by Intermix, who wants to let you know about the all-new ebook Feel the Rush from best-selling sensation Kelsey Leverich. This book is available for download on August 20th, which is very soon. This is the second book in a sexy contemporary romance series. And here's the description. Everyone likes Megan Mitchell. She can throw him back with the guys and have a spa day with the girls. She's sweet, smart, beautiful, and single. She's pushing 30 and coming to the end of her five-year plan. And what does she have to show for it? She's done dating Mr. Wrong, Mr. Bad, and Mr. Not Available. And her new plan, find Mr. Safe. Captain Reed Porter lives for his wings. He loves the feel of the fall. He loves hovering in air at 12,000 feet. 
and then jumping at a speed that whips his body and glides it to the ground. It's a rush. Reed isn't one to stay still for long or to get tied down. Like everything in his life, he lives for the feel of adrenaline pumping through his veins for the slight uncertainty of his outcome for a challenge. Megan's looking for safety, and Reed's looking for danger. He is not part of her plan, and she is a new challenge. Will Megan give Mr. Thrill a chance, even if he isn't Mr. Right? And will Reed learn that sometimes the feel of the landing is as much of a rush as the feel of the fall? Feel the Rush from Kelsey Leverage will be available for download on August 20th. And if you would like to email us, or if you have a suggestion for a future podcast or a question for Aaron, you can email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. That's S for Sarah, B for bitches, J for Jane, at gmail.com. And seriously, we love email. We love it when you send us some. You can also call and leave a message at our Google Voice number, which is 1201-371-DBSA. Don't forget to leave your name and where you're calling from so we can include your message in a future podcast. As you are listening to this, I am on my way to Australia. You know, like you do. I'm going to be one of the honored guests at the Romance Writers of Australia annual conference in Fremantle, which is in Western Australia, a place I never really thought I would go to in my life, and I'm not ever sure I'll go again, but while I'm there, I'm going to love it, because surfing, and um, also Australia. I'm going to be speaking about various topics, and I'm going to try to grab as many Australians as I can to do interviews, including Kat from Book Thingo, who you've heard from before, and maybe even I'll tie down Julia Quinn, because she is the honored, honored guest and the keynote speaker. After that, I am going to be part of the Brisbane Writers Festival and the Melbourne Writers Festival, so I'll be wandering around Australia for about a month, and if I can find any Australians and stick a microphone in their faces, I will do that. Romance is a slightly different genre in Australia. There's a lot of overlap and similarity, but the way that it's packaged and the way that it's sold, and holy crap, the price that it's sold at, is always a little bit shocking to me, and I'm always fascinated by the difference in romance readers here and there. Plus, they have their own association. The Australian Romance Readers Association is an organization that sponsors the book signing at the RWA, that would be Romance Writers of Australia Conference, and they have other events throughout the year, which I think is kind of cool. Maybe we need one of those in the States. What do you think? For the last few weeks, the podcasts have been weekly. Will you let me know what you think about that? I wasn't sure if every week was too much or if every two weeks is better. Let me know. Either way, we're going to skip a week next week because um, jet lag and also travel. And then I will be back every two weeks with podcasts. And if you really, 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 really like them weekly, send me an email. Let me know. I also love to know what you're doing when you listen to the podcast. So share that too. And while you're at it, you know, just tell me what you're reading because I'm nosy and I want to know. And finally, wherever you are, Jane and I wish you the very best of reading. 